Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Merry Christmas. How are you, my friend? <laughs> Man, I'm doing great. Merry Christmas to you and your family and and friends and you know everybody you care about, Phil. You and know, everyone Merry Christmas to everybody. That's, that's all our listeners. Well, yeah, we that's always right. Say, Live everybody, to see your friends. Merry Christmas. That's right. Happy holidays, happy, everyone. Happy holidays to everybody uh, and uh, happy Hanukkah. And, uh, you name it. We're, we're wishing you well. New Year coming up. That's right. That's right. We, we're on week two of our two-week review of the year 2017. Last week, we talked about our favorite shows from the first half of the year, and this week, we're touching on our favorite shows from the second half of 2017. And I divided the year up a little wonky. I, I divvied it up in terms of uh, we did 130 shows total, so I said the first half of the year was the first 65 shows, and the second half was the second 65 shows. I think the way you did it, Stephen, was like using a calendar, which is yeah, how most people chronologically. You know, I, yeah. I, I went January through June and then July through December. So. A, a, a legitimate way of dividing a year up. I don't think anyone's going to say that that's... <laughs> yeah, I, will, I probably won't get a lot of argument with that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, that's, but, that's, cool. But, that's cool. So if, if listeners note that, you know, there's some overlap or, you know, our dates are not in sync or something like that, it's okay. It's okay. We talked about it, and Stephen and I are fine with it, so we hope you all will be. <laughs> we hope that, uh, yeah, roll with the punches here. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the best shows for the second half of the year, Phil's picks. And I want to start with the first one, which was on July 17th. It was called Checking In on the Future. And this is another kind of theme that we hit on fairly frequently. It was just looking back at some positive future-related trends that, that we keep tracking. And one of the best of these, one of the most important that, that I think you can't emphasize enough, is that in spite of what people hear on the media, in spite of what you read on Twitter, in spite of what the guy you have to sit next to on the bus <laughs> might think or whatever, there's actually a lot of good news in the world. And, yes. and we had this one story, good news despite what you've heard. And... It was just a wonderful breakdown of a lot of great stuff, talking about the fact that since 1990, more than 100 million kids' lives have been saved through vaccinations. Every day, another 250,000 people graduate from extreme poverty, according to how the World Bank calculates this kind of stuff. So even though people, uh, particularly I think in the U.S. these days, tend to look around and they see gloom and they see doom and they see danger and they see everything coming to an end and things spinning out of control, Globally, what's been happening over the past few years in the world, generally speaking, for most humans, has actually been pretty positive. And I think those trends are likely, likely to continue. I, I think the, the, the best trend, the trend I'm really looking for is for people in the developed world to wake up to how good things are. I, I think that's an important trend that, uh, that I want to see happen. I still don't see that happening currently, so I guess that's a – what would you call that? It's not a trend. It's a longed-for trend, right? Kind of a 
It's an aspirational trend. An aspirational trend, thank you, yes. A trend I'm trying to start here. Right. You and I are trying, have been trying to start yeah, here. Yeah. And we've, we've kind of been steadily beating this drum, um, you know, and, and, and hoping that, uh, that some, you know, uh, there's some people out there that are feeling the same way. You know, it, uh, that, uh, hey, you know, someone, you know, ha- doesn't have to believe everything I believed uh, for me to care about them. <laughs> you know, that, things like that. Uh, that and kind that, of thing, yeah. That, that, you know, this, you know, general peace on earth, goodwill towards men kind of thing, right? And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're hopeful that uh, there are those that agree. There you go. You know, I think those who listen regularly are at least – Got to be at least half convinced by now, or either that, or you're just entertained by how crazy you think they are. So. <laughs> listen, to, listen to these guys. Yeah. Either way, we're glad to bring yeah, all that happiness into your life. They're impossibly naive yeah. way of looking at the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> either way, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah that's you know, right. we're, we're 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 here for you. Now, uh, there was uh, there was another story on this one that was about fusion energy. Another story we track all the time, and it said that uh, it, an MIT scientist predicting that we'd have fusion on grid by 2030. So here's hoping, you know, 13 years off. Uh, The thing is, fusion is 20 years away and has been for the last 50 years, right? But here's a here's a very bold scientist saying we'll have it we'll have it in 13 years, right? Yeah. So So, hey, that's 12 years by the time a lot of you are listening to this show. So (laughs) if we can if we can knock off a a six you know six months off the projection every decade or so, we're going to get there, you know. (laughs) So. Absolutely. I think right. we're, we're, we're moving in a very positive direction right. on fusion. And the story also covered metformin, which we've talked about. I think we even talked about in our roundup, uh, one of our roundup shows last week, but we keep coming back to it. You know, it's the old five cent a pill potential cure for aging. So uh, one, right. of, one of the big stories of the year, I think something that, that we keep going back to. And by the way, we, we mentioned that we would geek out in context. I just want to point out that this was a Friday show. We had a geek out. And we talked about Planet of the Apes and whatever happened to the fun apocalypse, right? So uh, we, 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 we were uh, – I, I was asking for positive news even on, even on uh, dystopias, right? <laughs> Remember right. when dystopias used to be more fun than they are today? That's right. You know, uh, I mean, those guys in Mad Max, you know, running around those cars, they look like they were having a great time. You know? Absolutely, right. Yeah, well, Charlton Heston always not, made not the, the end of the world fun. the people mounted to the front of the car so much, but the people driving. You know. <laughs> the people driving, yes. If you're mounted to the front, that's, <laughs> that's generally – although it might be fun at first, I think it uh, – <laughs> Yeah, it, it it quickly becomes less fun. But I was just going to say, yeah. Charlton Heston, he made the apocalypse fun, and we just we we need his we need his kind again. Uh, we we need we need the Charlton Heston brand of dystopias back in the world one day. I, I I think you know it's it's interesting. If you live in a world that has a fairly positive view of the future, they make more fun dystopias than uh, than 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 we get these days. These days we get actually I, I'll take that back because I think the most recent Planet of the Apes film actually had kind of a positive side to it, didn't it? It kind of a almost, you know, although the world was ending and humans are doomed, right? Dude, I don't know. I felt that there was... It, well, you know, you, you have fully realized people in, the, yeah. in, the, uh, in these apes, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, humanity may be coming to an end, but uh, there are going to be people that survive. And... Uh, uh, that's that's the way, and, and I, I, I can I can see exactly what you're talking about. Love, you know, that trilogy 
the uh, the new Apes trilogy uh, is is fantastic. Each one of those movies, I mean, stands on its own, but is an integral part to a huge, you know, to this great story. Um, yeah, that's those are some great movies. Those are good movies. Although I have to say, the second one, I came out of it a little bummed. I was like, well, geez, this is this world isn't going anywhere good. And then by the end of the third one, it's like, oh, I guess humans are done, but it's okay. I like I'm liking the Apes and. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's sort of the it's sort of the empire, right? You, in the middle, you always yeah. you have to leave leave things in a bit of a mess. That's Just right. Like I, I guess we sort of spoiled the end of uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, but that's okay. You've you've all well, had yeah, yeah. and we haven't really spoiled it, so no, still no, go see really. it. Or uh, at this point, well, if, you, if you've watched uh, Charlton Heston's Planet of the Apes, you knew you knew where it was going. So exactly. And I feel that, uh, well, I don't know. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, we the end of Titanic, you know? I mean. (laughs) If you you compare War for the Planet of the Apes to Battle for the Planet of the Apes, I think it's a somewhat more upbeat ending even than than that series. But we digress. Uh, That's the thing. We start geeking out. We can't stop. Here we go. (laughs) Here's my next next great show from 2017. It was uh, August 4th, and the topic was, wow, history-making news. And I was just looking, you know what? This was also... A Friday show also had a geek out, but we won't we won't get into that. Um, this was this was great because uh, another topic that we that we come back to all the time is the fact that history worthy news is occurring all the time. News stories that would have been screaming headlines, that would have been the top story of the day, go virtually unnoticed these days, just because there's so much of it happening. Right. Just because there's so much of that news occurring. Well, there's two reasons it gets ignored, Phil. Number one, it's just too much of it, and you know it's a little bit like drinking from the fire hose, right? Right. But but the other reason is that you know some people are just so focused on the negative stuff that they don't get to get any of the positive, and that's right. sad. That's sad. I mean, you know. So, but. You know, we 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 mention this a lot. So anyway. Yeah, well, it's a, it, you know. Uh, just just say we got a we got an old saw we like to get on and this is uh, this is definitely one of them but but here's here's one for example in breakthrough scientists added a dangerous mutation from genes in human embryos now this got a bit of attention in kind of the science news side of the media so good on them for picking up on it but this is so huge the idea that we can edit genes and that we can eliminate a disease by doing this and that this has now actually been done that that you can take a human embryo and you know what's the right word here fix it actually take a disease out of a human embryo this is massive massive potential both for good and for bad in the case of this one and i think that it really didn't get the attention it deserves um we've heard a lot more of these kinds of stories actually in the intervening months and i think this is going to be a recurring theme i think we're going to hear about these kinds of treatments popping up all over the place both on mature people, I mean kids or grown, grown, grown-ups, or in embryos. I think we're going to hear it across the board. But the embryonic changes, I think, are the most telling and probably the most significant. That's, that's the one where you're really talking about redesigning a human genome from the get-go, right? I mean, you're, you're really talking about starting a human being over again, in this case without a disease. But the implications for what else you can change, the implications for what other improvements slash are they really improvements you can make? Uh, it's huge. This right. is this is big, big news. Any way you look at it, absolutely. And you know, and and our hope obviously is that uh, we don't lose you know the the diversity of the way people look 
and you know that every, if everybody just aims for one uh, physical ideal, you know, you know, everybody's going to look this certain way or whatever. That's uh, that would be that would be a, a tragedy. Um, and you know, instead, of, you know, health is something that we all want, and that's great. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of things that we should kind of leave leave alone. And yeah, well, what what exists is a wonderful mechanism for creating diversity amongst the human genome. And that's right. You know, there are definitely traits that are more favorable that you that you want to have, but we, but diversity as a rule is probably a good trait for the species to have. Right. So yeah, let's let's not do away with that. I don't right. think I, I don't think we want to do away with that. When we diverge into diseases, when we diverge into chronic horrible problems and birth defects and things like that, you know, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable saying, yeah, that's okay. We can we can eliminate some of that diversity. In fact, we can even probably create some new kinds of diversity because we're going to be able to do things with with the gene code that we haven't been able to do before. But in all of this, we have to tread very lightly. We have to right. be very careful and think about what we're doing, not only to the individuals who receive these treatments, but what are we doing to the species? Because yeah, everything we do, we're doing to the species at this point. Which is yeah, if you're, if you're doing germline, you know, editing, you know, that's... You, you, your new things enter the uh, the species at that point, and we we just need, like you say, tread lightly. Tread lightly. Be careful. Yeah. Let's be That's careful right. what we what we do to the the human species. It's 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 been an interesting journey getting to where we are, and we don't want to we don't want to shorten it. That's for yeah, sure. We don't, we don't yep. want to muck it up now. So the the other big earth earth shaking story, I think maybe it, it it's fair that this one didn't get big screaming headlines, but I, I just thought it was a fantastic convergence of two of the threads that we're just constantly pounding on. Artificial intelligence is used to fight premature aging. There you go, okay? That's, that's like the, the ultimate world transform mashup right there, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, artificial intelligence, you know, to pretty, you name the problem, you know, you just uh, yes. artificial intelligence and then plug the problem in, and uh, I, I think that uh, it'll, it'll be a tool that we employ in everything we do that's tough. I, right? I, think, I think we're moving in that direction where it will right. be kind of our general purpose problem-solving technology. Interesting to see what, they were, what they're talking about here, and it's, it's something that we've talked about more recently. In the, in the past few weeks, we've talked about similar approaches to this, but basically using, using machine learning to, to iterate through possible treatments to look for what will be the most effective treatment for diseases like Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for some of these uh, degenerative uh, neurological conditions, and also for cardiovascular diseases. There are so many different approaches that could be taken to addressing these things, and humans, are, we don't scale that way. We're not, we're not really good at trying 10,000 different things, but machines are great at it, at least modeling it. So this, there's, there's a real hope here that combining these two threads anti-aging and machine learning, we're going, to find, uh, we're going to find some really awesome ways of approaching these problems that, uh, that haven't been looked at before. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is, this is looking at methods of treatment. We talked a couple weeks ago about how it can be, how the same thing can be deployed just to look for proteins or just to look for particular molecules, just to look for drugs, to model how drugs might be used, kind of swinging it back in this direction. And I think all of those things are going to be tried. And we're going to have algorithms crunching day and night looking for ways to make us healthier and make us live longer. And you know what? If you can't get excited about the future, if you can't feel good about what's happening in the world for any other reason, that's kind of a cool thought, right? Yeah. That there's these machines just working tirelessly looking for ways to make you healthier. So 
Happy New Year, everybody. I think that's <laughs> I think that's pretty darn exciting. Okay, so the next two shows, actually, I should say the last two shows on my list have in common the notion of dealing with post scarcity, abundance, um, future wealth type stuff. And and the first one was from October, and it was called Future Wealth, Universal Basic Income, and Alternatives. This was a this is a fun show because we revisited the idea of universal basic income. One of the ideas we've talked about numerous times over the years, this is, this is something that we've come back to, uh, I don't know, even since before we had Martin Ford on the show talking about the lights in the tunnel, right? We've talked about universal basic income as potentially being one of the solutions for what happens when automation takes all the, takes all the jobs away. What was interesting on this show is we actually compared it to some alternative models that now people are talking about some other ways that we might manage post-scarcity, that we might distribute wealth or that we might make it possible for people to participate in the economy in an age when the computers have, have completely taken over. And two of the ideas discussed, one of them was universal basic services, which if you recall, Stephen, we kind of went through it. And in the end, it felt more like just kind of a rehash of the welfare state. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was well, all well the, and good. The, but The difference between universal basic in, income and uh, welfare is that welfare is, uh, you know, there's, it's a means-tested thing. You know, if, you're, if, if, you're, uh, if your income is above a certain level, you don't get it. Whereas universal basic income, everybody gets a check, right, for the for for a certain amount of money. That's right. And, and, and one of the theories behind that is, is that uh, there's no point at which you go, you know what, I would take this job, but it would put me above that mark, and, and I would lose my basic income check, and therefore I'm not going to take that job. You, right. don't have, you don't have that problem with universal basic income. If you, if you have an opportunity to go make a, make a buck or two, you'll go take it, um, and, but you just have the safety net. Right, so that's that's the thought anyway behind universal basic income and why it's considered different from welfare. But anyway, we, and, we and talked at, could... at length about how do you pay for something like that, and I, I, you know, the the idea that I keep, you know, I keep coming back to is well, you, you, you tax the machines. Right. I mean, uh, to the extent that uh, you know we're losing jobs to automation, uh, you 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 tax those businesses that are benefiting from automation. And uh, and that's how and that's how you pay for something like this. But you, know, you got to be careful about something like this. It, it can't you, you you can't it can't be implemented too soon, or you you know you put the lights out of the tunnel too fast, right? Or, or well, the, the, yeah. And the thing is, if you wait too long, then there's going to be an awful lot of suffering. Yeah, before exactly. We... So it's it's you got to be careful about it. So yeah, but before before it gets kicked in place. Now the idea of taxing the machines it was really cool. We talked about it in the show earlier this year, and I don't know which show it was. The fact that Bill Gates has come out in favor of that idea, so yeah. an idea that has been tossed around in post-scarcity, transhumanist, uh, singularitarian circles for years, the idea of taxing the machines. And Bill Gates is a very interesting person to have advocating for something like that. Right. I, you know what? I see taxing machines as kind of the next idea that's going to take hold after UBI. You ask right. people if they've heard of universal basic income, they have. You say, well, have you heard of taxing machines? Some have and a lot haven't heard of that yet. And it's like, I think those two are kind of, gonna, those concepts are going to kind of go together with, the, with taxing the machines kind of following the idea of universal basic income. It's kind of the logical 
extension of it, or one of the logical extensions of it, one of the, one of the logical ways we could do it. Now, I, do, I, I will say, I think there are probably ways you could do universal basic services that would not be just a reiteration of the welfare state, but what they right. described in the story we linked was not that. And then there was, a, there was another one called universal basic assets. I love this idea, just universal basic stuff. Uh, again, you've got the whole how do, you, how do you finance it, but I think any model that looks at not directly paying people money, but but that looks at providing them infrastructure or providing them what they need to live by other means, I think is worth exploring. Because we spent a lot problem, of time on universal basic power, um, you know, and that was brought to us by uh, Brian Wong. Our that's company. right. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and in fact, we, we did two or three shows on that, I think, this year. We, d- we did one with Brian talking about it, and we came back and revisited it at, at least once, maybe, maybe twice over the course of the year. And, and that's a fantastic idea. Now, that is the concept of going into the developing world and going to the folks who just plain don't have electricity and getting electricity to them. And he's outlined a wonderful plan for how this could be done. It could be done fairly cheaply. It could actually be done using assets that are currently uh, being deployed elsewhere that have commercial value. So it's not like you have to create a whole new infrastructure just to solve this particular problem. And it could be done using funds that were probably going to be used to electrify the world anyway, but would have taken a lot longer and cost a lot more. Brian makes a wonderful case for doing it this way. This, just in this terms sort of, of thing the, pays for itself, too, because once people are electrified, they are contributors. They, they, are, they become part of the modern world at that point. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good investment. If you want to develop yeah. markets, here's a way to do it. You, right. you can turn this, this whole billion or so people in the world who don't have electricity into your customers right. <laughs> by, right. by, by getting the power to them and you know, making them a new channel for, for goods and services. Okay, that's the, you know, for, for, for anyone who's cringing at that thought, I don't think you should cringe at that thought, but anyone who's cringing at that thought, just know what you're also doing is saving millions of lives Right. And you're improving the quality of life of millions, hundreds of millions of people in the process of doing that by well, giving them opportunities. To, the, to those that, that are cringing, I, I, and, and I want to say this in as kind of a way as possible, but, uh, you know, um, perhaps we should relinquish first before we uh, criticize those who have never had anything uh, to you know, to begin enjoying a few things themselves, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, well, I just meant people might be cringing because it sounds really crass. It's like well, here, no, here, it's, here are the poorest people in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to make them my customers. In, in, you know, participation in the in the world is obviously more than just capitalism. It's you yeah. know, it's it's uh, it's it's plugging in, um, and they get to you know, people get to be uh, contributors. And quite frankly, when you are plugged in like that. You're you're not victimized as easily, you know. Right. It's the it's the unknown people of the world that are you know uh, that are subject to uh, ethnic cleansing and things like that. It's you know because they're you're, they're just you know no one uh, no one knows about them basically, right? So um, get people connected, get them on the grid, get them participating in social media. It, it's I mean there's a there's a democratization element of it. Right. There's lifestyle. There, there's there is no downside to this whatsoever. So no. yeah, I we're on the same page. If you're cringing, stop cringing. You're cringing. <laughs> yeah, we're, there, there's other things in this world to cringe about. We, we're not, not being crass. We really aren't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no more than usual. Anyway. <laughs>
And, and then finally, the last one that we talked about there was post-scarcity, and that actually leads us to the final show, which was just, just a couple weeks ago back, well, about a month ago now, on November 29th, The Amazing Wealth Machine. And this was just so much fun, talking about how much is that smartphone really worth doing this analysis, everything from a 1991 Radio Shack ad I now do with my phone that a guy had done um, to figure out how much value there was in his iPhone. A journalist had, had done the math on this and come up with, I think it was like $3,000, $3,100, something right. like this. And someone else gets a hold of the numbers and goes, no, 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 you're not, you, you, have, you have miscalculated by a significant margin and does the math again and says it's more like about $3.6 million to get a device like this. <laughs> and I, I think that's actually a lot closer that if you wanted to have a piece of equipment that could do the things an iPhone can do back in 1991, you would have been shelling out millions of dollars, you know, you know, and still probably wouldn't have gotten everything that it does. And the, the, Oh, go ahead. I was just thinking 1991, Phil, is not all that long ago for those, for those of us, uh, you know, for, for members of our audience that are, you know, uh, 30 and below, it may sound like a long time ago, but I can tell you it wasn't all that long ago, okay? Uh, and, and it uh, felt like a very modern world. Let me tell yeah, you, yeah. 1991 <laughs> we, felt... We, we, weren't, we weren't hanging around thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> it would be nice when we, uh, you know, move from the Stone Age, right? We, yeah, we, yeah we, we weren't sitting around thinking, all we have is standard format video on VHS. What? This is awful. We, it never occurred to us to think that. Well, this this uh, blog post, uh, everything from the 1991 Radio Shack ad I now do with my phone, is also a good explanation for why there's no Radio Shack anymore, right? I mm. mean, it's it's uh, there are many businesses, not just Radio Shack, but many businesses that are just they've uh, been ephemeralized out of out of out of business. They just there's. You know, all their products are gone. You know, they've disappeared into the everything device, right? Absolutely. That we yeah. call a that we call a cell phone. So, so if you if you keep if you keep working through the math, you get higher and higher estimates: seven million, twelve million. I don't know. This thing's worth a lot of money, and until finally we get to the one that I just enjoyed so much. Jay Bradford DeLong said, "Forget about 1991. What would an iPhone 10 have cost in 1957?" Okay, 60 years ago, what would have cost? And obviously, now we're talking about the impossible because a lot of these technologies simply did not exist. There weren't even analogs to a lot of the technologies in an iPhone in 1957. But he said, okay, just let's just say the computing power. Just taking the transistors that did exist in the day, and computers did exist in the day. We just want to build a computer that powerful in 1957. And it's just wonderful to read. It's just amazing to read what it would have taken to do that end of to, to cut to the chase basically on this you would have needed more money than existed in the world at that time to build it and to power it you would have needed 30 times the amount of power we have in the world today okay to to, to make because <laughs> it turns out vacuum tubes take a lot of energy by comparison to these little transistors <laughs> well that's true that's true too yeah, yeah. vacuum tubes are, are not necessarily uh energy friendly but but the bottom line but even is, the transistors they had back then i mean were huge right yeah yeah it was, it was yeah. We're, we're talking we're, we're talking about we're talking about a big massive undertaking so here's the thing you, you got to take that into consideration if you hold an iphone 10 in your hand or let's face it 
an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 7 or whatever device you've got in your hand, whoever makes it and what, of whatever vintage it is, you're holding something that would have taken basically all the wealth in the world 60 years ago, a human lifetime ago, not even a whole human lifetime ago. There's a lot of people way older than 60 on this planet. And I want to I give you that fact and the fact that the po- percentage of the population who own smartphones is increasing in this country and worldwide. Okay, so if you don't believe in post-scarcity, you have to somehow deal with those two facts. Okay, more and more of us are carrying around effectively all the money in the world. What would have taken all the money in the world to buy just 60 years ago? So is post-scarcity a real thing? It absolutely is. We get better and better examples of it all the time. It hasn't turned into it hasn't translated perfectly into everybody's got a free house on the beach and all the food they can eat. That's going to take a while longer. And of course, the beach thing is problematic anyway. But let me tell you, (laughs) it's harder and harder when you look at something like this to argue against the idea of post-scarcity. And I'm confident in 2018 we'll be able to make the case even better than we've done it up to this point. That's right. Absolutely. And with that, Stephen, that's my four shows. So I'll tell you what, we're going to wrap this year up in style on our next show. Uh, You can take us through your favorite four shows from the second half of the year. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. And uh, that will be our, our second of two shows for this, for this week. We are on a uh, abbreviated schedule uh, this, during the holiday season here. And uh, looking forward to it, Phil. All right. Same here. Looking forward to having you all with us. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs>